Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Ephrata Community Church Weekly Podcast, a conversation with our pastors and leaders meant to continue encouraging you to know God, know freedom, know purpose, and make a difference. Hey, hello, Ephrata Community Church. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, we are here with Chris Weber, Executive Pastor of Ministries Extraordinaire, and he shared the message uh, this week for our sermon series, which is You Ask About Him. And uh, that's kind of a, a different way of looking at our regular series, which is you asked about it, focusing because of our focus on Jesus this year on specific things that Jesus said. And this time it was, what did Jesus say about marriage? And so, Chris, you brought the message this week. Uh, what are you thinking? How did how do you feel it went? I did. I thought it was well. I appreciated the dialogue that it began to generate in the life of the congregation, of course, we started there in Matthew 19 with Jesus' most definitive statement on marriage and then moved to the idea of what was in God's heart when he designed the marriage covenant, which took us, of course, back to Genesis chapter 2. During my preaching time, I had uh, said that there's more about covenant and the way God designed covenant and even the meaning of that word than we could get into on a weekend service, right, of yep. course, being 30, 35 minutes, uh, which we want to dive into here in the podcast in just a moment. But uh, before we uh, came online, Dan and I were just talking about our own marriages, being almost married for about 20 years now. Yeah. So we've learned a thing or two. And, uh, and one of the comments that I heard from the congregation this weekend was how refreshing it was to consider the unique things in each marriage and to understand that um, as a husband, as a father, potentially, there are unique things about who I am and the way I'm wired and how that interacts with the unique things about my spouse and how they are and how they're wired. Yeah. You know, one of the things I really appreciated, Chris, was that you, um, you didn't do what often pastors do around this topic, which is um, like... (laughs) Here's the five things for a marriage, and this is, uh, and I don't, I, I want to be, I, I want to be hospitable towards that, right? But I, I don't necessarily know if it's intentional, even. But it's like, okay, so these are the five things for a good marriage, and then everyone's kind of left with like, okay, so now we've got to kind of fit our marriage or even our gender roles or whatever that looks like yeah. into this box yeah. uh, for it to be biblical. And you, you, you started with the text, and you obviously walks us through those passages. Uh, but you talked about the relationship between the husband and wife and then how that's lived out um, using uh, Barry and Cheryl and, and Mark and Marlene as as examples, yeah. um, how that could look different but still be God-honoring. And I just really appreciated that this weekend. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, that tends to happen when we do that, hey, here's the five things you can have for a great marriage or 10 things that'll help your marriage not be as horrible as it is today. Like one of the things we do when we do that is we assume, or maybe maybe not assume, but we, it almost appears that it's all about me and you. And mm-hmm. what I was trying to do was pull back a little bit and say, there is a third significant party in your marriage relationship if you uh, uh, inside a covenant contract. And that is the Lord God. Yep. And he has some things to say about how that operates and how that should operate and what that should look like in the world around us. Yeah. And uh, the idea, that, that big idea of coming back to this, this point from Ephesians 5.22, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for the Lord yeah. being key. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you said you wanted to get into talking about covenant. Yes. So what, what do we want to 
uh, tease out with Covenant this week? How yeah, can we help? That's a great question. And one bit. of the reasons I'm excited that you're here uh, <laughs> because of a depth of knowledge you have about Covenant. So yeah. without going into a full Old Testament understanding, the word covenant uh, is an agreement, is a contract yep. um, that the Israelites would have been familiar with, but we don't really use in our day today. So do you want to yeah. highlight a little bit about um, your understanding of covenant? Yeah, sure. I mean, probably the closest things that we have for covenant today are marriage or a loan. <laughs> mm. And even a loan's not even touches close to it. But yeah, I mean... What God did with covenant is he took what was already present culturally in the ancient Near East and he adapted that, adapted something that the people would have already been aware of and how relationships work into his relationship with Israel. Yeah. And so uh, those covenants often had to do with two parties and uh, they entered into agreement for many reasons, oftentimes protection for peace, um, what, what have you. And during that covenant ceremony, both parties would come together. And if you could imagine like one on one side, one on the other with two leaders in the middle, right? And the leaders would do things uh, to bind the covenant. The first thing they would do is they would exchange uh, vows towards one another. This is hopefully coming obvious to you all uh, where I'm going with this. They exchanged vows to one another with promises uh, of what they would do. And then they would also exchange goods or services or, uh, um, so if one was an agrarian society, they would give the best of their fruits to yeah, there was and a it, gift. Exchange. There was a gift exchange. Yeah. If there was a, if it was a warrior tribe, they would give a shield, right. To, to show protection. So they would do that. And then the, the, they would actually pass, uh, through what they would do is they would cut an animal, lay it out on either side, blood would come, and they would pass through the middle of that blood, one on either side. And, and from that passing through, it would be a symbol like, your people are now my people, my people are now your people. They would exchange new names with one another yeah. and uh, and new identities as, as not two groups, but one group. Yeah. And that was very, in fact, if you read in your, your New Testament or your Old Testament where it says, make a covenant, the Old Testament Hebrew, uh, actually means to cut a covenant because they would cut the animal in half. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, God used that as a way in which he related to Israel through covenant, through the old covenant um, with blessings and then also curses that would happen if you broke the covenant. That was usually at the end of that. And so uh, most people would find it interesting. The book of Deuteronomy is actually written as a covenant contract. So if you read it, it's very similar. So, and then when, what's really cool is God took that and then uh, imparted that into marriage. And so if you hopefully, uh, you and our, our, our listeners caught on, uh, that covenant ceremony is what is happening in a marriage covenant ceremony as well. You've yeah. got, you sit on the one groom side or the bride side, you exchange gifts of rings, you exchange vows, you exchange names yeah. and you become one. And, uh, uh, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. I did not realize that the book of Deuteronomy was actually written uh, as, as a covenant. Uh, yeah. I would love to study a little bit more uh, about that. So with the establishment of this covenant, one of the things that I would have highlighted this weekend is just that inside that covenant is a natural multiplying, fruit-bearing, kind of life-giving yep. um, situation that God has established. And that's not the only fruit-bearing, multiplying, life-giving 
um, uh, covenant that God establishes with us. Uh, recently, you and I were in conversation where you talked a little bit about singleness yeah. um, and God's design for singleness as well, which I think was just a very, um, uh, is a very needed conversation in our context and in our culture today. Yeah, and, and the beautiful thing is your highlighting of the reality that the covenant between a husband and wife is there's a third party. Yeah. Uh, and Christian, what defines Christian marriage and what defines Ephesians 5.21, right, is that um, it is in reverence to Christ and that, it, or, and that God is part of the covenant. So not only are the marriage, marriage parties having a covenant together, but they're making a covenant together before God, right? Um, and out of that flows fruit, out of that flows, flows uh, the blessing and all of that. And the reality is that single people uh, can still live their lives where they are dedicated before the Lord yeah. and still be in covenant with him under That's the right. new covenant and experience. I don't mean to pretend or to insinuate uh, that it's the same uh, or, and, and I want to be sensitive to people that are single that don't want to be, but there is still the availability to it, the same fruit bearing, uh, the same blessings, the same uh, showing the world of their relationship with Christ and giving glory to God uh, by the way that they live dedicated in their singleness to him and to his glory yeah. uh, and submit themselves to the Lord in intimacy with him. And so um, I love the fact that that reality that singles can experience, you highlighted that reality in the marriage covenant um, more than some of the other things we make marriage about. Yeah, just a conversation we don't have uh maybe as often as we should, but just to be clear, that that life of singleness, whether chosen or not chosen, right. can actually be just as fruit-bearing and just as multiplying and just as fulfilled and God-ordained and blessed yeah. as the marriage Absolutely. covenant as well. Yeah, and we recognize some people are called to that. Uh, the New Testament talks about that. God gives grace for uh, the calling of singleness, and some people, um, they don't feel called to that, and they are waiting for uh, for a spouse, and yet um, God, there's still grace from God to experience multiplication yeah. and fruit bearing in their covenant relationship with God in that season as well. Yeah. So, so you mentioned Ephesians chapter five, I did, verse twenty one. <laughs> so let's go there for a little bit because we know our culture and our community, yeah. and the conversations around husbands and wives and headship and leadership and. Of course, you would have heard me this, uh, this past weekend with uh, the Ulrichs and the Whistlers talk about how that leadership can look different and we honor those different, um, the different ways that that shows up in marriage. And of course, it seems like a, um, a fairly level-headed common sense approach to say, of course, the dynamics inside your marriage are going to, to work differently yep. because you have different people who are there. But Again, we live in a religious culture that tends to yoke people mm -hmm. with a, this is how you need to do this. Yeah. And I just feel like the real fruit comes is internal as we submit to the Lord. And because we submit to the Lord, we submit to one another and we love for each other. And out of that place comes these principles that we see in the Bible, instead of putting the principles on the front end mm -hmm. and demanding that this is the way it works. Yeah. And then people chafing uh, under a structure that maybe doesn't fit yep. the way they're designed. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, I, I, I appreciated you got a little bit into what was happening in the Greek language there. Yeah. I, I don't know if you want me to go into that technically, but, you know, I, I'll just say this, um, we could, I could go more technical, but 
Ephesians 5.21 is a hinge verse in Paul's thought as you go through. And we have to remember the Greek New Testament does not have punctuation, mm -hmm. does not have headings, uh, does not have um, all of those things, doesn't have verse numbers, anything like that. Those were things that were later editions. It's a letter to a church. And so uh, it, because it's a hinge in his thought, depending on your translation, that verse could come at the end of one thought or it could become at the beginning of a new thought. Yeah. And because that's placed in our, um, uh, our English Bibles, uh, we've made some theological assumptions based upon even how the publisher of the translation we're reading decided to put that verse, yeah. which is crazy, right? But you rightly said that the word submit, which is submit yourselves one to another unto Christ, or however your translation says it, um, does not actually exist in the next verse in 5.22. And so uh, in the Greek, it just says, submit yourselves one another unto the Lord or out of reverence for the Lord, wives to your husbands. It doesn't say submit. Um, and Paul's basically saying there, okay, I, you're supposed to submit to one another. Now, let me tell you how that looks in all the different relationships yes. that people within the church may be in. And he uses a familiar model, which is a household code, which actually doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from Plato. Okay. So that is a Roman, Greco-Roman thing. And what Paul does, which we don't see as, uh, as 2023 American Westerners, but what Paul does, which would have made everyone in Ephesus be like, what is he doing? Is he puts the woman first. Mm. Because old household codes in the Greek uh, world would have listed them in order of importance. Hmm. And so he puts the woman first, and then he does something even crazier, which is not put the man first and have everyone submit to him. No, everybody he refers to, he's telling them, this is how you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the pointing back of how submission works is to God yeah. throughout the entire thing. And that's so important. It's also important to recognize, and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop, but I just want to make sure people understand this too. We believe, because of historical context, that within a New Testament church like Ephesus, there was probably 20% of the church was widows, because people died early then, right? Um, there was also a lot of slaves, household slaves that came to Christ. Uh, there was children. So to, to make a a verse that or a section of scripture where Paul's trying to teach people how to live lives submitted unto the Lord and to each other. Uh, just about uh, a man being in charge. Yeah. Would doesn't make sense when Paul's trying to teach an entire community how to live. Mm. And so we've made this verse much more some groups have made this section of scripture yeah. uh, a, a a trope to teach people how we set up our house. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's what Paul was trying to do. Yeah, we we were- <laughs> Sorry if I got too much of the week. No, you there, didn't. We, this is a conversation we had uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, before this weekend. And, uh, and I appreciate you bringing that back to the surface, would even highlight the conversation we had uh, around Genesis, even as we look back to yeah. the beginning and say, um, uh, sometimes the, the thought can be, well, we, you know, we know that scripture says that, you know, a woman's desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. Yeah. And you just rightly highlighted that, like, that is a clear result of the fall. 
yes. of sin. Uh, and when we look back to original design, original covenant, that first covenant there in the mm -hmm. garden as God designed uh, Eve and then gave her uh, to him and the response from Adam they were a union of equals, as I highlighted this weekend, yes. and they were given a mission mm -hmm. um, to go and uh, and be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over the earth. Yeah, I mean, a simple way to say that, and I mean it out of respect. I have, I, I understand people come from different theological perspectives, but I want to give uh, a clear I, where we are. I think I, it's fair to say that is. Um, a lot of people point back to Genesis 3 to define gender roles within marriage. And the reality is the verse that you mentioned, which I think is Genesis 3.16, I could be wrong. You can let me know. Um, but is, uh, it, the question is, since when did we let God explaining to, to humanity the outcome of the fall define any area of our identity since we've been now made new in Christ? Yeah. And so it may be that God said, as a result of the fall, there's going to be this, uh, this, this conflict between husband and wife for who's in charge. But that's not how we were designed, and that's also not how we were we were made new to live in Christ. And so uh, I just challenge when people point back to that chapter to say, um, I actually don't let any result of the fall define who I am or how I live. Mm. I define who I am in Christ. I am a new creation, and uh, and that's my starting point. <laughs> yeah, and that's the starting point in my marriage, and that's the starting point in my relationship with my wife. And it's beautiful, as you showed, that that actually is what when God's redeemed us. Part of what He's redeemed in a marriage relationship is how He created us to be in the beginning. Yeah, right. And so. I don't know. I'll probably get more emails for that, but <laughs> well, let's let's not move past that point real quick, even as we close yeah. on on the fact that that is one conversation we are having. Yes, that is not the conversation of biblical headship, where we right. take cues from the way Jesus and the Father um, relate to each other and what yeah. we actually know about that. So that is a that's a different part that of different that conversation, yeah. and we would say. Um, that biblical headship is actually important. What we would not do is say that means this exact thing that has to look identical across the board for every marriage relationship. Yeah, and I think I think that um, what the beauty is is that at the end of the day, you landed on um, he is greater than we. Yeah, and um, and so. That you're right. That is a different conversation. So just maybe we just start with where we ended this week as as we move forward as married people, right? Which is, um, I know that I'm not always worth in my attitudes, my behaviors, uh, to be the guy that my wife would submit to. <laughs> right. I'm fallen, you know. Uh, Jessica is a, is a saint. She's married to me, but I can also say she's not always the, the, she has her days, her moments as yeah. well. But at the end of the day, my submission and my relationship to her and how I treat her, love her, care for her, all of those things is defined by who Christ is. Yeah. And if I do that and she does that and we do that together, uh, with that heart, I do think the outcome of that is going to be fruit-bearing multiplication. Yeah. And so 
Um, anyway, I, I don't want to not give you the last word, but. Yeah, I think I would just ask people to consider if we were to put like a handle on this conversation of like, okay, what do I, what's my next step actually look like? I would point people right back to the headship of Jesus Christ or the Lord God in the midst of a covenant marriage and say, as you submit to him, that is the, that is what, that's kind of the input. So for me, the best, the best producing output, the most life-giving uh, inside my marriage that will, that will bear fruit is actually what I put in, which is actually submission to the Lord God. Mm -hmm. So he's in the covenant. He's the one that gets to call the shots. He's the one that at the end of the day, I'm saying, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So what does that mean as I steward this relationship with my spouse? Yeah. Yep. And let's love each other well. Yeah. And give God glory yep. and point to him uh, because our marriage uh, can preach the gospel to people. Not only can it. It will. It really will. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us, me and Dan today. We bless your marriage yeah. and other stuff that we haven't said. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. We hope that you've been encouraged by listening. You can listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, and of course, learn more about us at effortacommunitychurch.com.